The yeah, idea like, of 20 people spending their time each week to listen to us talk for over 40 minutes is a miracle. I've hated it for 33 straight weeks, but I just keep coming back. Yeah, I mean, I got nothing else to My do. My time's not very valuable. And welcome to Three Idiots and a Lawyer. I'm Matt Pfeiffer, along with Kevin O'Keefe, Joe Shell, Brett Fortnum, and Colin Lerner. We hope you're having a great uh, December. You're staying warm in this uh, winter weather if you're in the Northeast. I'm broadcasting from a blizzard, so uh, always fun. But it's uh, overall a pretty exciting day because today is early National Signing Day for college football. And today, 19 players signed their national letter of intent to play football for Syracuse. And uh, this is really overall a really good day, guys, for Syracuse football. Rivals is ranking this the number 48 class in the country. 247 Sports has this ranked the number 53 class in the country. Uh, if you use the rivals number, this is the highest rated recruiting class Syracuse has brought in since 2008. And if you go by the 247 number, it's the highest since 2014. So this is really kind of you know what we've been waiting for to see some of these higher ranked recruiting classes start to come in. Dino Babers did a real good job. We've got players that are going to fill in. Uh, a lot of things that we saw be problems this past season. You know, I think we were all concerned about the offensive line. We've got a lot of offensive linemen coming in in this class, including a four-star recruit, Enrique Cruz. We've got another four-star recruit coming in at defensive back, and Deuce Chestnut. He's gotten a lot of excitement. There was concerns about quarterback. We've got a dual-threat quarterback, first one in a very long time. That's a dual-threat quarterback coming in from same high school as Ian Book. And is uh, has been studying some under Ian Book, the quarterback at Notre Dame. We saw just a couple weeks ago how talented he is. If you look at this, guys, top to bottom, this is easily the best recruiting class that Dino Babers has brought in. And they could not be coming at a better time. What are we thinking as we look at this? What I think jumps out to me as a positive is that we're building depth at positions of need, namely offensive line. You mentioned Enrique Cruz who is highlighting that group of offensive linemen coming in, some defensive linemen, some linebackers. We're building depth where we really need it. Um, we need quarterback depth. Lampson seems like he's a, a talented kid to be bringing. Probably won't see him starting or contributing for a little while. He's a little bit of a project, but it's positive to see him being compared to Eric Dungy a little bit with his style of play, which could be a positive, could be a negative, but it speaks to the fact that he's a good athlete. I think the kid that I'm most expecting to contribute immediately is running back Josh Huff. Uh, Dino looks at him as a guy who would be that that bigger back role to kind of be a short yardage change of pace back. And I could see him contributing right away because that's something we've been needing and haven't really been able to find. So I think he is in the best position to kind of contribute right away. But, you know, you see you hear 48, 53, that doesn't jump off the page. But, you know, those rankings don't mean a ton. But looking at the the type of athlete that we're getting, the size of some of these kids. There's a lot of positives, and I think we are building to have more of the right type of talent in the program. Joe, I disagree when, when I hear the 48-53 numbers. That, to me, is is fantastic, especially for a team that went 1-10. But that's still about where we've been. If it's not a big jump, that's about where we've been for a decade. At least to be able to maintain that, I mean, as Matt was saying, this could be the best recruiting class we've had since 2008. To be able to maintain that 
after a completely disastrous season, I think is saying at least something. But I will agree with you on, on several other points you made. What I really took note of when going through the, the 19 guys who signed was that there were five offensive linemen easily outnumbering every other position group and our biggest position of need. So I was very happy to see that. And the guy I'm interested in, um, obviously, when you have the four-star, but you also have uh, Kalam Ellis, who is 6'6", 350, immediately the, the biggest guy on the Syracuse roster. So I'm I'm excited to, to see that and, and hope that these guys can contribute and contribute quickly and push each other in practice. Because when we saw such a lack of depth this year, that having more guys is always good, but it, it's especially good when the guys lower on the depth chart are fighting to get higher on the depth chart and making their teammates better. And teams that don't have depth aren't getting that much better in practice because of that. You have to have that competition. And that's what I, when I saw the, the Justin Lampson comments, I mean, obviously it's rare that you're ever going to get a freshman QB starting, but I'm really hoping that, you know, these guys get in there and they light fire under the starters coming in. The other guy we absolutely have to mention, though, is Deuce Chestnut, because, I mean, it's it's another defensive back that's getting high marks. And it seems like Syracuse has been able to put out some very, very good defensive backs the last few years. And I'm, I'm starting to wonder, you know, D- Dino's supposedly a great offensive coach, but it, it's been the defenses that are been a little bit more impressive. Deuce had some bigger schools come knocking later on in his recruitment, too. And uh, Oh, yeah. It's good to see him yeah. hang out and stick with us. We've talked about Deuce a couple of times. I seem to remember discussing previously that he was kind of like a Dior Johnson type where he was trying to recruit guys to come play with the program. Obviously, Dior Johnson didn't work out. But I know that we've gotten a few other uh, interested candidates for, for the 2022 class because of Deuce Chestnut. But yeah, I'm excited about him. I think it was Joe that mentioned that Justin Lampson reminds you of Taysom Hill. I like the idea of sprinkling him in there like a Taysom Hill, just like an athletic uh, quarterback that you could throw out there. Run the option effectively. I would love to run the option effectively. I feel like we haven't done that since Dungy. You need a special kind of mobile quarterback in order to do that. So that would be... Do you mean like like an RPO? You also need or... protection. I'm talking about a yeah. true spread option, maybe even a triple option. Your quarterback gets out and he's got several different maneuvers that he can make and doesn't get blown up in the backfield within three seconds. That would be fantastic to see that, be able to get some explosive play. I'm a big, I'm a sucker for the option, but when it's run poorly, it, it is really just hard to watch. And I don't even think we've really bothered much. But in terms of the offensive linemen, yeah, we've got, this one guy, Kalan Ellis, that Brett mentioned, who's 350, six foot five, six foot six, or whatever it is. And outside of that, the other five guys are all yeah. under 260 pounds. And a lot of them have been recruited by the Air Force, Navy, Army, the Ivy League. So it tells me that Dino is kind of keeping his strategy intact a little bit of you know getting those athletic guys up front and running these kind of flexible packages where we can do a lot with offensive linemen not having a bunch of hogs back there but but I would I would like to see a little more size and I mean you know like 
this guy Enrique Cruz who hilariously six six two eighty five. I mean, yeah, he's 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 only a few. No, no, no. Enrique Cruz, gentlemen. Enrique Cruz is only six five two fifty. Well, I don't. Where where did you see it listed as two fifty? Because he's listed on the Syracuse website as two eighty five. Is that his middle school roster? I don't know, but I just love that the guy calls himself Terra Cruz, which is definitely (laughs) going to catch on. Well, probably not because it's lame. And then, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, I hated this one that Justin Lampson. Somebody called him "Silence of the Lampson." I thought that was just just really disappointing. These are the edits that. that the football program does for the kids, but the kids have a say in it. So it's probably <laughs> you know you're you're talking about what the high school kids are are saying. Don't be knocking the new quarterback, Kevin. Let's, yeah, man, let's... yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Let him play too serious before you decide that he can't do it. Yeah, but the, the new quarterback who is, I mean, by all means, is probably going to redshirt. But, yeah, maybe we'll see him in 2022. That would be nice. Depth. Uh, Any depth at quarterback. We have not had depth at quarterback in a long time. For the record, he can play four games and still not have to redshirt. My point is that we have a lot of guys that the United States Navy is going to be pissed that we coached from them. Um, and I don't know if anybody watched the Army Navy game on Saturday, but man. I did. Great game. Oh, I'm sorry, man. Kevin. Oh God! How long has since Army had won one of those? They've won They've four won of the last five. Army. Yeah, they're, the last they're, 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 in the last <laughs> yeah, twenty years, Navy's Navy's recruits. I'm just thinking yeah. back to when Keenan Reynolds was the quarterback at Navy, and they were unbeatable. They had like fourteen in a row against Army there for a bit. Yeah. To sum it up, there was a lot of running, and obviously they can't recruit guys like the rest of the country can, as far as size goes on the offensive and defensive lines, because they have to be able to serve in a different capacity. But Kevin, are you saying that a 350 pound man can't serve in the United States Army? Is that what you're saying? Hey, man, I, I, he's not going to make weight. That's for sure. He's not going to make height weight. I can guarantee that. fit into a submarine. Is that what you're saying? There is a lot of athleticism on our offensive line. I want to see us use that, but I want to see us bring in more size. I actually want to highlight a kind of different direction here. I'm very glad that we're bringing in any kind of offensive lineman where we desperately need. But I want to highlight a linebacker, Malik Matthew, right out of my backyard in the Bronx. He comes out of Cardinal Hayes High School, which is a high school that I grew up knowing. It's very, very close to where I actually grew up. And it is a powerhouse. And he's rated as the number three prospect in all of New York and the number one linebacker prospect in New York. Now, I know that New York is not a high school football powerhouse, but our defense is at its best when there's a strong, sensible, intelligent middle linebacker who's kind of running the show. And our defense wasn't bad last year. And if we're bringing in strong, strong defensive talent and a guy who could anchor our defensive backfield like this kid, then I am really, really, really looking forward to the kind of D that we could possibly have, a D that can maybe kind of change games and can cover up more so than the previous year's D has been forced to cover up for our poor, poor offensive play. I do want to give props to the Syracuse football social media team. In rolling out the recruits, they did album covers for each of them, which I was very amused by. And they also did, and I haven't got a chance to listen to all of these uh, they did the orange film rooms where they kind of break down the recruits. I think it's great outreach. It's very interesting for those of us who care. And it's not every day that I'm impressed by Syracuse social media, which is ironic. The actual kid that I was talking about chose um, 50 Cent's uh, Get Rich or a Die Tryin' album. And it is a dope, dope looking picture right now. Um, 
and it is very Bronx, and I am very proud of my hometown and of my heritage. And uh, I think that 48 is higher than I thought, and I, I really think that we're not going to see another 1 in 10 for hopefully a long time. So two of these guys are from the state of New York. A handful are from Pennsylvania. Fewer right. from the DMV. And then everyone else is from a combination of Florida, California, and elsewhere. You know, this, this is not what we usually do. This class is really diverse in where it's come from. From literally not even the island. Yeah, a couple <laughs> Hawaiian kids. To the other island. Hey man, Dino's got uh, that was, island. The, can we just say for a second, what the hell were those kids thinking? We're not yeah. going to the University of Hawaii and just be yeah, warm for four years. I think Dino's hey. Hawaiian connection was helpful there. Absolutely. Can, can I just put out Doesn't here? Doesn't make it any less snowier. I want to just talk about this one guy is just like a, a beast here. This Austin Kai, who's offensive lineman. From Honolulu, uh, you guys talk about him. He's six five, listed at two eighty. Okay, he's a Polynesian Bowl selection. He's rated three stars. He's the number seven prospect, or, or I'm sorry, number eight prospect in the state of Hawaii. Man ran track. <laughs> big man, big man ran track. Six five two eighty, and he did sprints. I, I didn't say sprints. But he ran well, I mean, track. Wait, are, are we talking track or track and or track field? Because he could have been well, a shot put guy in track and field. Interesting you put that out because they listed track and field on some of these linemen, which I would assume shot put, javelin, something, right, where you got to throw oh, some. Rush. This guy, they didn't stop at the and field, put track. And I'm like, please tell me. It said, let's see, also com- competed in track. Oh, please tell me, big man. Was running track. Play, I mean, old definition of anchor right there. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, maybe it was his job to like you know nudge nudge one of those other skinny kids off the track at the beginning. You know, yeah, they, yeah he, they just brought it. him in there as a Cal Mountain Junior to take people out. <laughs> I don't know, bank. but hey, I I had to point that out because when I saw that, I'm like. Uh, I like this guy already. Kalen Ellis, the other one from Hawaii, he's Polynesia Bowl, seventh in the state of Hawaii. Now, we had actually a quote from uh, one of the 247 scouts that on here. He moves well in the run game with the ability to seal gaps and create lanes inside, something that I think is really something we've needed. You've seen that sometimes we had trouble creating those lanes inside for the running backs, and our running game really struggled this past year. Having a guy who was actually already compared to one of the Stanford linemen, that's good news. Wes Ho is the other lineman. We didn't talk about him. 6'4", 260. This was a top 50 prospect in the state of Illinois. He was uh, number 47, according to the composite rankings from 247 out of that state. Three-star recruit. Three-time state champ in rugby. So, yeah, absolutely. He knows how to push some people around. I'll tell you the guy that I've actually seen a lot of talked about, too, is this Tyler Magnuson. He's only 265, going to have to put on weight. But there's been a lot of talk about him. I saw some of the other recruiting things really high on him. Number nine prospect in Minnesota, 2019 state champs, all uh, the Star Tribune, all Metro team, second team this past year. Really, really solid recruit as well on the line. Yeah, and then there's Enrique Cruz, four stars, 
Number four prospect out of the state of Illinois. We seem to do really well in Illinois. You know, and we beat some blue bloods for that one. We beat Michigan, Michigan State, Miami. All we're trying to get him. Other ones included Louisville, Arizona, Arizona State. So a lot of people were going after him. And a big reason that he's coming to Syracuse is he expects he's going to get to play right away. And based on what we've seen the past two years, I would agree. (laughs) Enrique Cruz, I hope, is in the lineup right away. I'll tell you the other thing I like to see. A lot of these linemen have. It's really important with linemen. It's also important with linebackers, and I noticed that in the linebackers we've recruited too. A lot of Ivy League offers, which is good, because you like having smart linemen and really smart linebackers, because those positions, you really need... There is a lot of strategy in those positions. Having smart guys in those positions can be a night and day difference. And they just maintain the president of the United States. There's a big old difference between book smart and football smart. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. Like, I mean, field awareness is like a, it's like Chinese to Russian. It's, it's, there's, I mean, yeah, there might be some correlation, but. But I, Kevin, I, which, which, which one book smart or football smart knows not to throw a shoe from your opponent across the field. I think you should probably have that in probably at birth. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, when did that happen? That's how LSU beat Florida. Yeah, man. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, I that's for that's why LSU won that shoe. game. Fourth down. I do not know how they won that game. I mean, yeah, obviously that happened. But the fact that they were in that game is highly confusing and is probably driving the pundits crazy this past week. And thanks to that, we have to watch Ohio State be in the playoff again with five games played. Do you know that Ohio we don't State watch is- anything? The first school to have back-to-back number one classes coming in in, like, what, 15, 20 years or something like that? This doesn't shock me at all. Did you realize Ohio State has more five-star recruits than the rest of the Big Ten combined? Wow. (laughs) On their own. They have a whole lot of titles to show for it. I mean, at least you look at you look at you know, LSU, Alabama, and, you know, even some to some extent Clemson. You look at their recruiting and – consistently being number one a lot of those years, bringing home titles. When's the last time Ohio State won? I mean, that was when they beat Oregon. When they had Cardale Jones. Yeah, Cardale Jones, that's right. When Cardale yeah. Jones was the quarterback in the title game. because so, 14 know, season, January. 14, yeah. So it's yeah. been six years, and before that it was like 02 or so. So they've won two championships in 20 years. Not to mention, we can we can make an argument about that one in 02. That's the one where there was the interference yeah. call on Miami and the fireworks are going off. The latest interference call ever. Don't get me wrong. I was actually happy Ohio State won that in that 02 season because it was nice to see Miami go down uh, when that was back in the Larry Coker Miami days. But can I point out here, we've got a SI top 10 tight end on our uh, recruiting list, Landon Morris. 6'6-210 out of Indianapolis. He had 81 catches for over 1,400 yards and 13 touchdowns in his high school career. All conference. Yeah. Uh, Michigan tried to get him. Boston College, Iowa State. This really solid tight end. Assuming we actually use our tight ends, which the past season. Right. I, I read on Troy Noons that this guy lines up at receiver a lot on the outside. He's not even a slot receiver. So there's a good chance they just switch him up to receiver. I think he's a little under, undersized. I think he's like 210 or something. He is. He's only 210. Which is a little undersized he for tight end. He sounds kind of like Luke Benson. Luke Benson was similar. We used him as a true tight end. But he's tall. He's big, big target, 6'6". And, uh, he also, he can you had to give him, you know, you know, two years in the you know gym to at least kind of bulk yeah. up. Yeah. 
Take a look at our wide receivers here. We've got the son of a former Miami Dolphin, Anand Gats in the second. Fort Lauderdale, three stars, number 187 wide receiver, 35 catches, 580 yards, 12 touchdowns, two-time state champ, team captain, Arizona State, BC, Baylor all recruited him. Omari Hatcher, a guy from Virginia, Woodbridge, Virginia, number 21 recruit in the state of Virginia, certainly a good High school uh, football. Good connection. Player. There's a Wegmans in Woodbridge, Virginia. So uh... <laughs> that's why. You know he's that's you why. know he's been eating plenty. <laughs> that's right. A lot of big schools trying to get him. Penn State, Michigan State, North Carolina, Virginia. Justin Fuentes, the the head coach at Virginia Tech, was recruiting him directly. Maryland, Temple, Liberty, UMass, East Carolina. So a lot of schools trying to get him. So they didn't have a 2020 season, or at least he didn't have a 2020 season, but. 2019, 56 receptions for 1,400 yards and 17 touchdowns. Looks sounds good to me. And then Kendall Long out of uh, South Carolina. Doesn't have a lot of big-time offers, but, you know, a, a solid three-star wide receiver recruit. See where he fills in. You know, it's funny. I, I was doing some just looking back, and it's kind of funny how these star ratings work. Uh, how many stars do you think Chandler Jones was? How many stars do you think Ryan Nassib was? Based on your question, I'd say Chandler Jones was three and Ryan Nassib was two. They were both two. I'm going to say two for both, both. Yeah, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were um, both just, to, just to piggyback, Matt, on Kendall Long, uh, from what I was reading about him, it seems like we can do a lot of different stuff with him. It, it, it looks like you can put him in the slide. You can, you can have him outside. He can run motions. He's quick, versatile, good hands. He's a big target. He's good at going up and getting the ball. And I would just love a, a, a go-to red zone target because we just – I mean, yeah, like Taj Harris sort of filled that role. We need a Ravion Pierce type player. Hakeem Johnson was more of a, a deep ball guy, but I, I just feel like we didn't have a go-to red zone threat this past in, in, in past three seasons, I would say. Ever since, I mean, I always go back to Nick Provo. I wish we had that guy back. He was great, just a great tight end. Great, dependable tight end, big target in the end zone. Just throw it up and let him go get it. Absolutely. Running back Josh Ho, you, know, you guys already talked about him. He had over 2,000 yards this past season. He, he averaged had, 16 yards a carry and yeah. 29 touchdowns on the season last year. He, he had a game earlier this season where he had like four carries and over 200 yards. Yeah, he had like six yards carry. Yeah, he, 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 he yards was like carry. Freak of the week, one 235 of the pounds and he runs on the outside. Like, what do you think this guy is? Sean Tucker going to be the inside guy, and this guy's the outside bouncing the, outside the tackles when he's just like this, just this daunting presence out there. Some people describe him as somewhat of a 1980s style running back, which is kind of an interesting thing. And and he had a lot of good offers too. I wanted to dive into Huff a little bit more, uh, especially since he's in your backyard, Matt. Yeah. Um. I mean, do you guys think he's going to to push for playing time? his freshman year. Cause I think there's an opportunity for absolutely like in there. Yeah. I mean, I, it, like, I, I kind of let off with that. Yeah. But even then just the short yardage situations, cause as Kevin referenced, if he's going to be bounced around on the outside a little bit, I, I think he, he's more than a short yardage back. And I think possibly, you know, Tucker was good, but I think there, there's absolutely room for a breakout running back. And I'm, he will play. Yeah, I, I think, think he will play. Agree. I agree, but I'm basing what I said based off uh, what Dino himself said. He kind of spun him as a short yardage back, at least off the bat. Um, and I think saying 
Tucker was good is kind of shortchanging him a little bit based on the injuries he was playing through and the fact that he was a true freshman. I think Sean Tucker was phenomenal this year, and we should be confident going into next year with him as the the lead back. But he obviously, there's there's room. This year. Yeah, there's room for a freshman to break out, but I think the most likely role for him is that he's going to be a. Speaking of Huff, will be a short yardage back this upcoming season. And that's not to discount that he can't be more in the future, but I think that is where he'll be able to carve out time for this upcoming year as a true freshman. What do you think that means for Cooper Lutz? Do you think he goes kind of to slot he's receiver? A, where he's, he's a very different player. I think he's been significantly better out of the backfield than he was as a slot receiver. I would expect to see him still primarily as a running back and he'll still find his way in the mix somehow because our offense works that way. Our offense can use so many different types of weapons. I think we're going to see Jawar Jordan get switched to more of a slot receiver H-back type role. And I think you'll obviously have Sean Tucker be the every down back. I think he proved enough where we can be confident in that. And Cooper Lutz played well. He played well against Notre Dame. He played well multiple times. I think he'll find his way in. So obviously, yeah, a true freshman next year could could carve out some time. But I, I think that will primarily be it. He'll be the biggest back the day he steps on campus. And that will put him in the lead for when we need some short yardage runs. And that all depends on, you know, if Jarvian Howard comes back or not. I don't know. But if he doesn't, there's, there's a big role to fill there. It's an important one that we've been lacking. Maybe we'll get some more tank formation. Yeah. Which has historically not been very good. <laughs> no, no, it hasn't. Just want to mention here, Justin Lamson's numbers, and you know they didn't have a season, I don't think, here this year. But last season he played 3,576 yards and 29 touchdowns. He was the Northern California Offensive Player of the Year in 2019. He was the Sacramento Bees Player of the Year in 2019. And if you look at his offers, I mean, they're not a lot of huge name programs, but some programs that are known to put out good quarterbacks, Boise State. They usually have decent quarterbacks. Louisville obviously always has good quarterbacks. Wyoming, which um, out west in in that group of five, is a good quarterback school. So I think Josh Allen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a good quarterback school there, Wyoming. So we have three linebackers on here. Austin Rune from Michigan, three stars. Number 31 prospect in Michigan. Derek McDonald, 6'4", 230, three stars out of Atlanta, Georgia. All-Metro, DeKalb County, two-time first-team all-region. Had 70 tackles, 22 for a loss, five sacks, four forced fumbles, and two touchdowns uh, this season. So... Uh, pretty solid. We already talked about Malik Matthew, number three prospect in the state of New York. Number one linebacker prospect in the state of New York. Two-time All-City. He's my boy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then we have another guy from the Bronx, Elijah Fuentes. Number 86, defensive tackle in the country. Number five prospect in the state of New York. And, and that's what you want to do. You want to be getting these high prospects out of the state. Uh, he had 10 sacks, 14 tackles for a loss in his career. Uh, his team won the uh, Catholic High School Championship uh, in 2019 in the city. Ran track, team captain. You know, I mean, so, and, and by the way, sometimes when it comes to these New York City schools, and I've seen this mentioned before, guys don't get as many stars as they do elsewhere because the media, oddly enough, in New York, the media coverage on high school sports and this, and the recruiting aspect is not as good there. So you get some guys who probably are twos who are really threes and threes who are really fours. 
or twos who are really even higher than three or fours or, or fives, but they kind of go unnoticed. So that's always what you hope when you get these young men out of New York City. Uh, we got some good D linemen here. Terry Lockett, uh, number three prospect out of Massachusetts, according to Rivals. Right by me. Yeah, 156 tackles and 11 sacks, 34 and a half tackles for loss, four interceptions, two blocked field goals in three years. He only played three years, and those were his numbers over three years. So really solid. Uh, Jadius Gear uh, from South Carolina. Oh, what a some, name. What a name. Hearing some good stuff uh, about him. We've got another defensive back, Malcolm Falk from Newtown Square, Pennsylvania. Number 26 prospect in the state of Pennsylvania. Obviously, excellent high school football state. So, uh, you know, that means something. Uh, 108 career tackles there, three interceptions. And then, you know, as we've all mentioned, Deuce Chestnut. I mean, and if you look at his offer list, it's it's impressive. Michigan, Michigan State, Ole Miss, North Carolina State, Pitt, Purdue, Miami, Maryland, Louisville, Kansas, Boston College, Baylor, Rutgers, West Virginia, two-time USA Today, all-New Jersey selection, two-time team captain, 13 career special team touchdowns, by the way. Just want to put that out there. That is a lot. And he wants to play right away. That's, I mean, that seems to be our draw is the, you know, the the high four-star kids think they're going to get playing time right away, and they very well might and should. And the number 25 quarterback in the country. That brings up an interesting point I wanted to touch on. With all of the the defensive linemen coming back, you know, we're excited about these kids coming in. With this extra year of eligibility because of COVID, how do you think that's going to affect getting the new guys playing time? Do you think they'll, Dino has said he always wants to try and get the best player out there, even though there are a lot of freshmen, sophomores playing this year. But, I mean, do we think there's going to be a little bit of a, a backlog on this, which create step which is the, good i think the positions where we have kids coming back are the positions where we need the kids to come back so defensive line we needed those seniors to come back on the defensive line we don't have a lot of depth there in the secondary we lost all of our talent and that's where we have a lot of talent that's young and coming in so i don't think it's going to cause too much of an issue just based on who's coming back who decided not to come back and what's coming in I like the idea of us being able to rotate. I, mean, I think we're also uh, assuming people are going to be healthy as well. I think with the amount of injuries that every program suffers, especially it seems to be ours in the past few years, we seem to be especially uh, injury prone. I hope that there's a backlog of people and that we have enough healthy talent that we have to kind of choose who is ready and who is not ready. I think we've kind of gotten into trouble where we're kind of forced to throw guys to the fire who aren't ready. So I think if we have a backlog of people who are waiting to play, then that is actually a great thing for our program. Absolutely. It's, no we, we need to be able – because what we haven't been able to do, especially on the offensive line, is rotate. Usually you're rotating guys in and out. People can get a breather, and we haven't been able to do that. So hopefully with these guys, in addition to what we have – by the way, I love the idea that you, you have these young offensive linemen are going to be able to learn from a, an SEC guy like Chris Blake, who now we learned today – is still being granted that additional year based on COVID, which means we have three years of eligibility with Chris Bleich, uh, who has a whole season of SEC playing experience. Aaron Surveys is coming back. Uh, and while he didn't do great at the beginning of this year, he did not have a great season. Hopefully, yeah, from left tackle. Hopefully with enough talent around coming in, and, and we'll see how they build up the young guys from this year that that will all coalesce. I think the thing that we're hoping is that you're just going to see this team begin to coalesce. And, and you know, it, it just – I think the thing that was frustrating this past year, at least for me, was the talent is there. 
it, 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 that is the, you know, there are years where we really were rough, right? We were had three wins or four wins and the talent wasn't there. And you could say, well, we didn't have the talent as the other teams, you know, look at, you know, this guy, that guy, the thing that was frustrating this year is the talent. There's as much talent on the Syracuse football team right now as there's been at any point since we've attended, which was for you know 2008, 2000. No way. You don't, no way, man. You don't think there's as much talent there, really? The roster top to bottom has more talent than it did when they were winning six, seven games under Doug Marone. Absolutely. 100%. I, I, I don't I, – I can't really agree with that. I mean, because watching the games this season, like they – even when they were close, I never this thought that they were. I, I I get that, but I, I also think we're short shrifting how much talent was on some of those. Go back and watch what types of athletes they had. They played over their heads, but we had a lot of guys who really weren't very good athletes. And we get what stands out to me is the first time we played Clemson in the Dome and Sammy Watkins just ran past everyone without even trying. Stuff like that. Yeah, Sammy Watkins is still in the NFL. Yeah, but what I'm saying is we were just outmatched. Since then, we have played Clemson close more than we have not. And Clemson's still bringing in the best players in the country. But now we have guys who can hang with them athletically. Yes, we played bad and lost most of the games this year. But that doesn't speak to the talent uh, that is on the roster. That's that's more of an abstract potential that, you know, it's kind of – it's not going to be backed up by the numbers or the wins or anything, but – the the eye test of the players that we have to me. And I think what Matt is saying is surpasses what we've seen in the past, even on better teams that we've had. Use the Notre Dame. The key is is top to bottom, right? That's what you mentioned. I think that the the distribution of talent is very nice now. Whereas back in the day, I, I think I sat next to Joe during that game, 2013 against Clemson, where you, you could argue that there was more talent on that offense than Clemson has had during their national championship runs. Like, holy crap. It was it was like something stupid. Like, there were like nine guys on that offense that ended up on NFL rosters right off the bat. It was, it was just crazy. They had like three running backs that were all starting a year or two later. They had like Andre Ellis. They had Sammy Watkins. They had – it was just like absolutely insane the amount of talent they had on that and, team. And that Clemson offense runs past – Every single Syracuse defense, right? Not just that, not, not just that one. Who's the corner that we we by by we I mean I like to pick on a lot. Who played all four years? Julian Wiggum. Wiggum, holy crap! I do not miss watching. He him. played well in that game against Clemson. He had a he had a crazy interception in that game. Yeah, he's a weird guy. He re, he got worse as his career went on. That was his freshman year, and he was pretty good. He got worse after that, that for whatever reason. Year. So the, the wide receivers on that Clemson team, Sammy Watkins, Martavis Bryant, Adam Humphreys, mm-hmm. Mike Williams. But my, my point is, like, it also seems like we're saying contradictory things. We're talking about the talent up and down the roster, but we're also talking about a lack of, of depth on the roster. So, I mean, it, like... Well, you can have yes, good I talent can. without depth. Up and down the roster? What is, I, I, I don't quite understand. Because talent is, is evaluating the players you have. Depth is you don't have enough players. <laughs> it, it doesn't speak to the town of the players you have. Depth is we need more players. The issue in the offensive line this year wasn't that the players backing up the starters weren't good. It was that they didn't exist. With, with right. a backup player, the question is not how much talent do you have? 
The question is, can you fill a hole without messing us up? Yeah, and we didn't. We almost forfeited games this year. Yeah, but yeah, it's just I don't know. But I think when you just when you just watch, yeah, Chris Elmore, hang the hang the jersey in the rafters. Can we change the name of this podcast to the I Love Chris Elmore podcast? (laughs) I man, I really do love Chris Elmore. Absolutely. I think basically though, when you look at all of this. There's a lot of reasons for Syracuse football fans, despite what was a very bad season, to be excited for the potential in the future. And I think it comes down to, can these offensive linemen do their job? Can they protect the quarterback? Can we get good quarterback play? And and can we not have those sloppiness, not have those games where we give up 300 running yards, you know, and then turn around and only give up 100, you know, to a, a team that on paper is a much better running team. It's one of those deals. They need to be consistent. It'll be interesting to see, you know, but there's a lot of reason to be excited about the talent coming in. We will talk plenty more about what happened this season and Syracuse football going forward. I do want to at least touch on Syracuse basketball because they had a massive win on Saturday, beating Boston college by 38. That's the largest margin since uh, in an ACC game, all five starters in double digits, Alan Griffin had a double-double, and then Syracuse won again today. We're recording this on Wednesday. 62-56 over Northeastern. Little sloppier, but still got the win. Five and one heading into the game Saturday against Buffalo. Any thoughts on the basketball very quickly? It's a little confusing right now. We had a good game against Boston College. Boston College clearly didn't really show up to play that day, and that kind of skews things. They really just weren't playing defense. That's how we dropped 100 on them. Um, But there were lots of positives that you wanted to see them build on against a weaker opponent, and we weren't able to do that. Buddy had a poor shooting day. Gerard had a poor shooting day. Griffin had a non-existent day. So there were a lot of negatives. Quincy Garrier still tearing it up. That's very positive to see. He's rebounding. Um, He's finishing at the rim, which is good to see. You know, Buddy and Gerard, they're going to get their shots in and they're going to fall. Um, They're going to have their bad days, but they're going to have many more good days than bad days. So I'm not really worried about that. What I'm worried about is it was hard to tell against Boston College whether they were just that inept on offense or if our defense had really improved that much. And based on how we played against Northeastern, it appears that that had a lot more to do with Boston College being bad on offense. I will say the positive on defense that I've seen is uh, Gerard and the guards aren't getting driven past as easily. They're really holding their own a little better. Guys aren't just blowing right past them, which is helpful, but the defense is still moving slow. The The switches are still slow. The, the, the shifts are slow. So we're still leaving a lot of shooters open. So you're finding that teams that are not scouted to be good three-point shooting teams are hitting a lot of threes, and that's because we are – missing assignments and leaving guys open and our shifts are slow. And that's still a problem. That's going to be a problem. We need to improve upon that. But when you have a day where your best offensive players are bad on offense, your defense is going to make up for that. And that's just kind of what this year's team is going to be. You're going to have to score to win a lot of these games. And it's not to say the defense will continue to just be bad. I would rather have the issue be what I'm seeing, which is a coachable, fixable lack of, understanding of how the zone should be working as opposed to just athletically being dominated, which I have not seen as much in regards to the guards. They have, they have improved in that manner. So there's hope, there's hope, there's things that can be fixed and improved upon. And in the last few years, I 
just feel like we would not have beaten the piss out of Boston College quite like that. Scoring 100 points was just – I had to do a double take. I was just – I was like, is this is this real? I mean, we, we scored more via the three than any other game in the history of Syracuse basketball program in its entirety. 16 threes. I, I, I really think that's staggering. BC, man. I really think that that's a sauce. Staggering. They, just were, they did not show up that day. Might as well have the state five back flower, honestly. We shot 52% from three. That's unbelievable. I mean, I, and, I, and that's I mean, where I get into my fears is I really don't want to, I don't want to live and die by the three, but if it's there, let's, let's shit. Like I, I said it, on that, Friday. It was there all so, day. That's kind of the on point. Saturday, if it's there, let's, let's shoot 55% from three. Let's do it on the season. You know, I, I would just. Well, Kevin, actually you're, you're, you're touching on something that I think really matters here on, on living and dying by a three, because we were dying by a three against Northeastern. And what I think it showed is just how not dynamic our offense can be when the three isn't falling. And what really kind of upset me, I was looking at the box score and you have Alan Griffin who's coming in, who's talking about, yeah, I want to be much more than a shooter. He was 0 for 4 from the field, 0 for 3 from three-point range. So he only took one shot that wasn't a three. Did you see the play that, that got him benched? Did you see the play that got him benched? I did not see that play. I know he carried. It was it was embarrassing, man. It was embarrassing. He just – he – I just stopped thinking about what sport he was playing. And he was walking up after we had just stopped them and gotten a turnover. It was a huge point in the game. And he just picked up the ball and walked like he was walking off the court. And it was, I mean, he didn't play another second in the game, nor should he have. It was, it was bad. But on the flip side, we played like absolute trash and we came away with a win. And that's something that the last few years of Syracuse teams have, would not have been able to say. If we came out and played like that, we would have lost to, St. Bonaventure or, you know, these non-conference games we've been losing the last couple of years. So at least that is the takeaway. We still did enough to not let this one slip away. And I give all the credit to, to Quincy for that. He really balled out. Oh, yeah. I mean, he played absolutely fantastic. But I think we're also seeing the growth of uh, Kadoria Richmond with every game that goes past. Yeah, he was at Spark when he came. Him and Woody both were Sparks he was at Spark when they came that in. Spark came in and he got good minutes down the stretch. He's just – he – we we talk about a team that lives and dies by the three, and in him I see a guy who can drive to the basket and who can break that three-point dependency. And with every, again, every game that goes past, he seems to be getting more confidence. And that's what I saw today. That was my my bright spot from today seems to be just his, the continued growth at the point guard position for a kid who I believe they had said he had a 6'10 wingspan today, which I didn't know. But Richmond isn't at the point where he's finishing at the rim yet. Sure he is. He, I mean, he was 0 for 4 from the field today, so the, the, he, he wasn't finishing today. And he got, he got fouled on a lot of the. He was, you know, he got to the line in some key moments. Yeah, what was maybe he wasn't finishing, but he was making plays. Right. No, well, what I'm saying is like he's maybe the only guard who has gotten good at penetrating, and he can penetrate the defense, but he's he's still growing. And I think by the end of the season, he'll he'll be finishing more. Uh, I'm reminded a little bit of, and it pains me to say is Tyler Ennis, because Tyler Ennis got much more aggressive later in the season. That didn't work out. I think Kadari Richmond is, has a much higher ceiling than Ennis and will be able to finish. But I don't think we're to the point yet where Richmond's going to be able to solve that problem of relying on the three. I think there's just there's too many guys who are settling for shots 
and it it makes me nervous. And I think Boston College is the exception, not the rule. Yeah, is feeling as a score compared to Tyler Ennis? Yeah, that? I mean that's a draft. I would be so excited if that were the case, but it also terrifies me because I don't want to see the ghost of Tyler Ennis ever. No offense, love Tyler Ennis, you know, did a lot for the program, but I'm much more of a Kadari Richmond type of. I want to see that kind of player as the point guard. I never loved Ennis. That's still that's still a big expectation of saying that his he's going to be better than a dude who was a lottery pick and played meaningful minutes in the NBA. I'm saying he's higher ceiling, and I mean Bayheim's. Uh, compared him to Ennis before. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I see a lot more MCW in his game than I do Ennis. And I, I oh. have heard the Ennis comparison, but I see a lot more Carter Williams than I do Ennis. I agree. I mean, he takes I care of the ball, though. Like, I mean, yeah, as a scorer, that's one thing. And, and I don't think we need Kadari to be a scorer on this team. Like, yeah, not if he this has year. six points in a game, I'm not, I'm not upset with that. I, I'd much rather see him. I mean, he's, he's cleaning up around the rim. I mean, for a point guard. He's passing well, moving the ball well, and more, most importantly for me, he's taking care of the ball. And he's defense. not turning it over left Absolutely. and right. I mean, we're not playing too many quality opponents other than Rutgers, but but I like to see his foundation of taking care of the ball, and I think he's a little bit better at that. No offense to Joe Girard, but I think he, he he's better at, at game management than Girard. Is, Girard is the guy who, who you're going to be able to give the ball to and he's going to score a top. But it's important to mention Girard has been playing better with the ball in his hands, facilitating the offense and playing defense, he's been better. But yes, Richmond, I like the moments when Richmond comes in, takes the ball, and Gerard plays off ball. I think that is beneficial to the offense when that happens. Can I say one more well, thing that is driving me absolutely up a wall and has been for about two years, which is why Joe Gerard, when he has a break, because he had six steals today and is great at getting getting the fast break and getting out being the first one to the basket. Why does he slow up so much and get blocked every single time? Because he's about to lose his handle most of the time. And you you catch that? He's like always about to lose his handle or he's dribbling up to his shoulder. If You know that there's guys flying down the court trying to block you. You either need to dunk it. If you can't dunk it, you need to go hard and go fast and get fouled. You cannot slow up and walk and get blocked every time with this nice little beautiful finger roll layup that gets blocked into freaking oblivion. Every hey, one time of them was goaltending though, at least. One of them counted. Absolutely crazy, and he did it four he's, times. He's he's like me at Archibald Gym when I'm playing against Mookie Jones, where I'm just like, oh, bounce, 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 slap, and the Yeah, we forget that Mookie Jones is good. He's bad, you know, compared to other Division One basketball players. But he's really, really good at Archbold. Well, it's like, (laughs) yeah. If you're playing me, your 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 standard is is really low. I mean, you're (laughs) you're scraping the bottom of the barrel there. I mean, it was like it was like us and then the Lemoines like club team, not even the actual Lemoine official basketball team. The Lemoine club team would practice next to us. And they'd make us look like a bunch of chumps. Man, I ain't no Mookie Jones. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting to see what happens next. They got Buffalo Saturday before playing Notre Dame next Tuesday. But it's now time to hear what is making our Cleveland baseball fan mad. It's time for what made Brett mad this week.
I'm not going to take this anymore. All right, Brett. I think everybody who knows you knows what this is ultimately going to be about. Oh, I'm so, so excited for this. I'm, uh, I'm this so ready. Is, we had requests. We had requests for this. So I just cede the floor. I am enjoying a Sunday night football game where my football team is actually giving me a reason to enjoy sports. And I, I, I get the update on my phone. Cleveland is changing its name. Thank God. It's about time. I'm I'm married to someone who's part Choctaw. My father-in-law has a Caucasians baseball shirt. So it's like, we're a little overdue here, guys. And they're finally going to do it. And I can't bask in that glory of just doing the bare minimum to be acceptable in society now for even 24 hours before the Cleveland Indians owner, Paul Dolan, opens his mouth. And this is from an exclusive interview he did with the Associated Press. The name is no longer acceptable in our world, he said. Dolan said the team will continue to be called Indians until a new name is chosen. Back to back sentences right there. The name is no longer acceptable in our world. We're going to keep using it until we figure out something else, which means they're going to continue to use it next year. Now, I want to point out something. Dan Snyder is a terrible human being who is awful at everything, period. Dan Snyder is doing something as a professional sports owner better than Paul Dolan. Dan Snyder sets the bar so low that you can only slither underneath it. And Paul Dolan dug a freaking tunnel under it. Oh, this is offensive. We can't use it anymore, except we're going to keep using it. Like, come on. And then I saw a Cleveland, well-respected sports writer, Paul Hoynes, title of podcast, is now the right time to change the, the Cleveland name? No, now is not the right time. 10, 15, many, 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 many years ago was the right time. So, like, again, if the Washington football team is doing something better than than you, you really have to question everything that you've ever done in your entire life. And it's, it's offensive that they've only recently got rid of Chief Wahoo, that they're I mean, Dolan even said, look, we're not even going to think about using tribe because in our conversations with the Native American community, we figured out we just have to stay away from that. It took you that long. You want to stay away from it, except you want to use it for another year. Like, come on, just don't be terrible. That's such a low bar. I also noticed that they said we will continue to sell selected merchandise featuring our historic names and logos, including Chief Wahoo, as a way to acknowledge our history. And I sent that little that little nugget of fun information over to Brett about two days ago, and uh, I believe he responded with an office GIF, 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 uh, GIF, GIF. an office GIF. Uh, a GIF streaming. because it's a graphical image file. It's GIF because Free. the guy who created it said it's a GIF. Whatever. Uh, Brett was unhappy about that as well. Also, and this is less important than the whole topic, but it is important to point out that in their press release, the baseball team misspelled their home city in the title. Instead of Cleveland, Cleveland, uh, C-L-E-V-L-A-N-D, which, uh, so yeah, somewhat of a, you know, not the best rollout. And, um, but yeah, uh, you know, it's, um, 
it, it is uh, it's something long overdue. And, uh, and people want to now name them the Spiders, the worst professional organization in baseball history. I think the Spiders. Like I, I don't. I, the logo. Yeah, they, I mean, they just they disbanded in like eight. I forget if it was eighteen ninety nine or like it was right around there as the worst baseball team ever. Why do you want to bring that back? Because like, they're because cool, they're the worst baseball team ever, and Spiders are cool, and Spiders are a cool logo, man. I don't know. Do something that has something to do with Cleveland. Like, you, you have a Great Lakes connection. You have a million possibilities. Do something fun, yeah. unique. Let's beat the don't Cleveland just... Lakes. That's a lot better than the Spiders. There's a lot you can do with that. I could see the Cleveland Rockers. Rock oh and Roll Hall of Fame. I would just like to make a shameless plug for the Cleveland What Made Brett Mad This Weeks. Because <laughs> this podcast is so important to the city of Cleveland because they listen to Brett moan and and complain about all the different Cleveland sports week in and week out that it deserves a name. I don't think the last name Dolan should be banned from owning a team. Agreed. Agreed 100%. But I don't think a league that already has the Rockies is going to name a team the Rocks or the Rockers or anything like that. I don't don't think they would do that. Good point. You know what, Joe? I think that's the smartest thing that we've said all episode. That that <laughs> never once crossed my mind until right this second when you just said it. Well, that and Carlos Santana is now in the Royals, so they kind of lose their their rock and roll connection a little bit. Well, there you go. We should be the they should be the Cleveland parking garage bowling alleys. The Cleveland midges. There you go. Yeah, I've seen that. Ha, hardy har. Bugs are the best player on our team. Well, I'll tell you this. It's going to be really fun to see what they name they do pick because that will inevitably have to be a segment whenever they do pick, and we'll have to get Brett's full take. Actually, for next episode, Brett, you should just bring a list of 10 names that you find acceptable that you would like to see them uh, pick up so you have homework before our next episode, which is going to be a fun holiday Festivus episode. Uh, a bunch of Seinfeld fans here, so we'll call it a Festivus episode. We're going to just do some fun holiday stuff next week. Until then, we hope uh, you stay warm and stay out of the, the cold and the blizzard. And for Matt Pfeiffer, Kevin O'Keefe, Joe Shell, Brett Fortnum, Colin Lerner, if you have the 1990 NCAA lacrosse trophy, let us know. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. For all of us, we will see you next week. Thank you.